We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers completed the biggest comeback in the NBA this season, coming back from 27 down to the Dallas Mavericks to get a thrilling win that had a little bit of everything from a huge injury scare to LeBron. Uh, and we'll get updates on that. We'll talk more about that. Uh, some Austin Reeves F-bombs that included a tremendous Mike Trudell screenshot. And for the play-by-play of that experience, we go to Mike Trudell now. Mike, biggest comeback since 2002, which was also against, that's the famous uh, comeback in the fourth quarter against Dallas, um, where Kobe hit the spinning jump uh, floater to to put us ahead. This was a classic game, Mike. We thought maybe, you know, our, our days of playing absolutely insane games this season were behind us. They're not. And, but this one we came out on top of. Yeah, Pete, I've always enjoyed the country of Australia. So I don't understand why Josh Green would come at Austin right in front of me like that. Oh, yeah. What happened? What's the what's the cheese, man? What's the version you can tell? No, no just he Josh Green said something. <laughs> he said something to Austin. Austin wouldn't tell us exactly what. But I my read on it is that, you know, Austin has been tried by many a, a, an opponent for many years. And he typically is just like, he kind of focuses on his game. And he lets his game do the talking and his game eventually does a lot of talking and people respect him. And I think there, you know, there are certain levels of players that he's willing to take a little bit from. And when Josh Green was trying to tell you some nests to him, he was not going to have it. And that was it. And so he told him what he thought. I think we all saw what he said on the broadcast that the players, his teammates were having a lot of fun with it in the locker room after the game and <laughs> I asked Austin if uh, after, so first he scores at the, at the rim and he kind of looks around and makes sure that green sees it. And then he hits the three, but green was on the bench. So I asked him if he, if he thought about looking towards mm. the bench, but you know, at that point he wasn't on the court. And anyway, that was, that yeah. was a fun part of what happened and the way that the game went in the building, right? So the home, the home team is feeling pretty comfortable and pretty good. Once the lead gets up to, 27 and that was the peak of where it was early in the second quarter but like all road arenas there are a lot of laker fans in the building 
And once the Lakers start to cut into that lead mm-hmm. and they trim, importantly, they trimmed it to to 14 with a stretch late in the second quarter. And that, like a 14-point lead at halftime is not crazy in the modern NBA. Right. It's, it's not easy, uh, particularly with a Dallas team that can shoot threes and they're going to get open threes because of Luka. But the feeling in the arena was much more like this is still a game to be had than you might have expected just given what the gap was. And I think that's partly due to all the Laker fans that were in there and just partly due to how the NBA has evolved. And, and then if I, if I have to single out one player, um, I certainly could be Anthony Davis with 30 and 15 and three blocks and four assists, but it's Vanderbilt, right? I mean, Vanderbilt just completely <laughs> flipped that third quarter on its head. He got three of his four steals. He had eight of his 17 rebounds. He had eight of his 15 points. He was all over Luca. And then in crunch time, he forces Luca to, to basically be sped up and make a huge mistake that didn't give Dallas the chance to tie it there. So I thought that it, it was a number of things, but my number one takeaway is just that Vanderbilt, who the Lakers acquire in this trade, and, and I think some people just didn't realize um, how good he could be, especially for what his number is for next season. Uh, it, like that, that's, that to me was, was the biggest factor that um, in the building, that in the, the energy that you could feel in the locker room afterwards too was kind of like, all right, you know, we got a, a guy here. We got a guy here that can help uh, the team get wins. I'm going to say my Vanderbilt thoughts for a second, Pete. This game, I had to listen to the Christmas Day game while I was driving. And That's so right. the Christmas Day game was, you know, this sort of evenly played contest in the first half. And then the third quarter, Dallas went bonkers. And they basically destroyed the Lakers in the sec- second half. This game feels a little like the inverse of that game, even though I didn't get a chance to watch that game. I just got a chance to listen to it. And so Dallas could not miss early on. Luca, three straight, like step back threes, like difficult contested threes. These aren't easy shots. He's knocking these down. Green is knocking threes down and Green's is sh- these are good shooters, right? And so don't get me wrong. Like they're playing to the level that they can play to, but not the, not the level that you expect them to play to night after night after night. Right. And so Tim Hardaway Jr. Burying threes. And I'm just like, Oh my God. At one point, I think Dallas was nine for 15 or nine for 12 from three. And the Lakers are like, Oh, for 12. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Pete, like the Lakers were a minus 27 from behind the arc. Hadn't hit one in a we missed bunch our of first attempts. 18. Yeah. 18. So they started the game over 18. I stopped counting. Like yep. after it got to like 12 or 13, I'm just like, I didn't know how many more it was until Troy hit that wing three. But this was sort of this deja vu game to me. It's just like, oh, look, it's the third quarter from Christmas Day. Well, even though the way it ended, right? Like the other games that we've played against them, the, the other game that we played against them, I texted you guys when we were up three and it was like, we've been here before twice with Luca with a sending a game from regulation to overtime and then OT to double, or I think they, uh, they closed it out with a win on a Luca step back. And it's a little different when you're being guarded by six, eight, six, nine, Jared Vanderbilt than Dennis Schroeder or Patrick Beverly or someone like that. And so it... 
There's been a few of these, D, where it's been sort of these uh, Groundhog Day. That's been one of, one of the themes of this season where they play the same team or the and the same type of game against the same team. And there have been a couple times now where it's like, oh, the outcome went a, a little bit different, Mike. This, this was just this was really similar to the Portland game, though, like in the Portland game where they had a billion threes. Yes, up there. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it, like literally, I think it was 17 in the first half and the Lakers but that that deficit was 25. And then the Lakers systematically took that apart. And LeBron scoring at the rim was a lot to do with that. But yeah, that I, that's I in the first half. I was like, well, yep, this feels like the Portland game. Uh, but can the Lakers stay close enough to be able to make a run? Yes. And when there's that big of a discrepancy in jump shooting, it's hard. It can get away from you quickly. That said, D, I would argue that we facilitate good jump shots for teams in ways that they got a lot of clean looks early on that some of them them they missed. And then they started making those. And then that's when it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to step into a three with a hand in my face. When and But when you're a team where that's what you do, Portland is one of these teams, too, where they're professional jump shooters. That is the vast majority of their guys. And even a guy like Luca, who isn't a super high percentage guy, if you're going to give him that that step back going to his left. He can be very good on that, right? And so I, there's a little bit of a chicken or the egg for me on that D of like, I think we kind of facilitated that. Also, our 0 for 18 start as well. I thought that we, like, we were in control the whole time. Yeah, there's, it's interesting because I definitely agree with you that the Lakers are fine allowing certain types of threes from certain types of players, Right. And so mm-hmm. I think that they were okay giving up step back threes to Luca. I thought the trickier part mm-hmm. was when it was off of penetration actions and then it's just like, okay, well, now these are like wide open shots to shooters that you don't necessarily want to give wide, wide open shots to. Mm-hmm. And Green and Hardaway in like in particular are guys that when the Mavs traded away their prime wing defender in Dorian Finney-Smith and with Maxi Kleba out and in trading for Kyrie Irving, they have become an all-offense team and they are out to beat you offensively. Mm-hmm. And that said, they've got some good defensive game plan stuff against the Lakers that the Lakers helped facilitate as well by not attacking the basket as much. Yeah, Jason Kidd likes to ball pressure you and ball deny up top while also kind of collapsing into the paint off of the ball. And so he's also facilitating jumpers. We're not hitting them, but there's not a lot of the paint to great type of possessions where it's a drive and kick for us. It's the ball gets passed around the perimeter and then, oh, this guy's kind of open. And I'd love to get talk more about jump shooting in general on the on the team, but where you're not getting that good of looks. That's exactly right. So. Dallas was on fire in the first quarter, but Mike, in the second quarter, things started to turn just a little bit, right? And I say just a little bit because the Lakers still lost a quarter. They lost at 33 to 31, but by the time the quarter ended, it didn't feel like the Lakers lost that quarter. And I sent you guys a text message basically saying, if they can, if they can cut off eight to 10 points from this lead, they can still win this game. And at that point, they were down 25, right? And so I'm just like, look, if they could get this to 17 or 15 at halftime, they would have done work in those last five and a half minutes of the quarter to sort of like stabilize things in a way. And like, look, every announcer in 
every NBA gym will say that same exact thing. And I'm sure Darvin Ham is saying the same thing in the huddle. It's not rocket science, like let's trim a 20-something point lead down to half that much, like, like if we can. But the Lakers' ability to do it, Mike, I thought was the most important part of the actual game because what they did in the third quarter, like they may not have had enough time is what I'm saying to like come all the way back the way that they did. If they're still down 22 at halftime is my point. And so they needed to get the momentum going before the third quarter started. And I thought that was a great springboard, Mike, for them to sort of like establish themselves as we have some things that will work against you. And then I had mentioned that I thought Vanderbilt was really the guy that led the way in that third quarter in terms of the energy and the impact and the defense. But there were a lot of guys going right with them. And, you know, AD in the second half had 19. LeBron, despite the foot injury, just starts to destroy Dallas inside. Uh, They just don't have any big wings anymore. And they were having to defend him Mm -hmm. with Reggie Bullock. um, And like that was about it. And it just that's Josh Green, a couple of possessions like these are. And I thought that was just a good adjustment by LeBron within the context of the game. who did not have his jump shot falling other than one three. And that was one area that they hit them in. And then Dallas started to miss a bunch of shots. Like Kyrie was three for 12 in the second half, one for eight from three. And some of those looks were wide open. And a Kyrie Irving wide open three-pointer is not what you want ever. And he just couldn't get him to go. And so that's part of it too. Like when you dig a hole that big, you need those types of breaks to happen. And I think that part of the, this is part of like the basketball gods element of it, right? Where if, if you're, the other team senses that you're playing harder. They sense that you're playing better defense. They sense that their lead is being chipped away. That can cause some misses as well. And and maybe that was part of it. But, you know, I, as in the text thread in the first half, when the Lakers fall behind by 27, you're, you're sort of thinking, barring some miracle at that point, even though that, again, that changed at halftime. Here are the Lakers about to drop once again to five games under, 500 uh, and going into a tough back-to-back and by finding a way to win this game things just look a lot different like they they literally jumped two teams they jumped Portland and OKC and it looks like OKC is going to lose again tonight New Orleans is now a game only a game ahead Dallas is only two and a half ahead and that that's the kind of win that you have to have to buck the trend that's been happening where you win a couple but then you give one back and I, I think that it's it's four and one since they made the trade Vanderbilt feels great. Beasley feels great despite him not hitting shots tonight. And then we'll see about Russell's ankle and LeBron's foot. And those are, those are both certainly concerns, but that's just, it's such a big difference between eking that game out uh, and not in terms of how this, the rest of this season goes. Mike, was that vibe there in the locker room too? Like the sense of like, we maybe got one that we shouldn't have and now we can build on that like even more like because the momentum has been going for this team since the trade deadline and and this to me was one that they could have given away but they didn't and the type of win that it was was there a rallying sense within the group this is a Soriano yes and no the yes part is is just the factual element of it and they can all look at the standings and they can see how much closer they are and and yeah, you you certainly feel good anytime you get a win in the NBA. Then the no part of it is just that I think they, let's say they end up losing that game and instead of like Luca actually grabs the ball, you know, goes up and hits a three and the Lakers don't score and Dallas wins the game, whatever. 
I think the Lakers can sort of talk themselves into the moral victory element of it in that, hey, wait a second, like we're we just have to come out better than we did. That's why we lost this game. We're we're still we still feel like we're a better team than before they made the trade was made. So I, I don't think that a loss would have killed morale or anything like that. Uh, but this this instead does uh, does boost it for sure. Uh, and I, I just don't want I don't want to overreact to it in that sense, because I do think that they they just feel like their basketball team makes better sense. And so that's something that is going to carry forward, I think, for these next couple of weeks. But obviously, it's it's a better feeling for them with the win. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'd like to talk more about how we got this win. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So that idea of Dallas not having anything on the interior for us uh, on defense when Dallas is on defense is certainly the case and something that we didn't do a very good job of exploiting. Our offense really struggled in that first quarter and in, in really in the first quarter and eight minutes or so. And a big part of that was, I, I thought, just a lack of force and the ball kind of pinging around the perimeter. The way that we won that game was by putting pressure on the rim, but it was in a couple of different ways. And this is where I do want to zoom in on Vanderbilt in that LeBron had a very thoughtful answer to, I think it was your question, Mike, in post game about Vanderbilt and how he contributes. And LeBron was talking about how players like him can give up advantage. So in a bad way, give up advantage by not being shooters, meaning that the way the defense reacts to them is they're going to be an extra step closer to the paint. They're going to be just disrupting more things off of the ball. And that's something that's often a disadvantage for the overall offense. It can be a four on five type of thing. We saw this with with Russ as being an example of that during his time here. He was talking about LeBron, about how... Vanderbilt has a basketball IQ within that framework of they're sagging off of me and I still have to be effective that is unique to that sort of player and was just really praising him on that front. And so there was a, a the play that really exemplified this was Dennis Schroeder had a drive to the basket. Then Vanderbilt, who had eight offensive rebounds, this was not one of them, I don't think, I don't think they counted it, but Vanderbilt came flying in on a corner dive, which he always makes this cut with vigor and at the right time. He's always diving from the corner of the dunker spot exactly at the right time that he's supposed to. And, but he didn't get it. He kind of like lefty smashed it off of the glass and Dallas guarded 
Dennis's attempt well. They also sandwich rebounded on Vanderbilt pretty well to make sure that he didn't get that rebound. He got bodied down low a little bit on his dive in, and then they contested him up high. But what they didn't have enough for D was Anthony Davis on the third wave attack, who's coming in to grab that offensive rebound. He gets a put back dunk. Nobody's got anything for it. And so we're going to have to beat different teams in different ways. And there are some teams that we will ideally be able to still beat with force and physicality. And I thought the way that we did that in this game, that Vanderbilt really exemplified the guy that kind of puts you over the top in that respect. Like, yeah, maybe you're really swarming Anthony Davis. LeBron James is on a bum wheel and, you know, not able to plant and exert as much force as as normal. But Vanderbilt also coming in and, and doing it in the way that he does it, I thought really showed how we can win some physical ugly games with this particular roster. Yeah, so let's just talk Jared Vanderbilt for a bit here because I think that what you explained there, Pete, is is super important and it's a very narrow description of a player that I think Mike has been pining for all season, which is like that hustle, get after it, like go do all the little dirty work things in support of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, because that's what like high level stars need. They need motor. They need a guy who's doesn't need the ball. They need a guy who is going to try to go get every rebound and and block shots and, and just be a menace all over the court. And that idea that you just laid out Pete about like his understanding of how to leverage the non-attention of a defense and use that against them is super important for all players who are defended like him. And if there's a frustration around like Russ in this one specific way, it is like he didn't really cut as much as he should have. He didn't really set as many off-ball screens as he could have. Instead, he had a tendency to drift further and further out, kind of calling for the ball again, which is sort of natural for a player who has played point guard his entire or his entire NBA career and is That's used how he plays to operating basketball. with, with yes. the ball in his hands, right? It's just like, okay, things are breaking down. Let me circle back to get the ball because I am the reset button. Vanderbilt's never had the luxury of being the reset button. He is the guy who has to continue to impact the game without the basketball. And so it's like, see ball, get ball. And it's like the most simplest idea in the world, but you'd be surprised at how many NBA players, that's not the language that they've grown accustomed to speak in like, like in this world, right? It's, they've been the best player on the court at every level. And it's they've always been the guy who you've given the ball to. And Vanderbilt, you can see it in his game. He's got a little bit of that, too. It's just like you could see guards sort of like, hey, I'm standing right here. Like, outlet the ball to me. I know you just rebounded it. Outlet, outlet. And Dennis has done this a couple times, too. He's like sort of sat there almost running side by side with Vanderbilt. Like, you can give me the ball now. And Vanderbilt's like, I got this. And but in circling back to like what he does in in the half court, it's all of those like living in the cracks and the crevices of the defense. And the most important thing that he brings then is like this uber athleticism and sort of motor that goes with that athleticism. He had this rebound over the top of Luca, the one where he sort of like Vanderbilt sort of hurt his own right ankle. And he just ran in 
jumped right over the top of Luca, grabbed a two-hand rebound. He fell to, to the ground, and it ended up being a, a jump ball. But he was he is creating plays out of nothing. And for a Lakers team that is built around two stars, you need guys like that, Mike, that are gonna, just going to create possessions where possessions did not exist. And, and, and so I just love the Jared Vanderbilt experience. As we're leaving the arena, I was on the, I'm usually on the last bus after games, just, you know, wait, essentially waiting for LeBron and AD to do their post-game media. And it's, it's taken LeBron a little bit longer than usual just to get to the bus. Uh, his foot slash ankle definitely sore. And so get on the bus. And I think that at that point, we it was assumed that everybody was there and unbeknownst to us Vanderbilt must have been somewhere else on the phone or something and so the bus pulls up out of the arena and gets up to like a stop sign and then I I was on the so if you just picture on the, the bus of course you have the left side the right side I was on the left side I couldn't see out the right window but I heard LeBron's voice uh, say something like oh hold, hold up here comes Vando or something and he he was either running or he was in a golf cart or something, but basically the, the, the team bus had left him and LeBron yells out on the bus, hey man, Vando's still hustling or something like that. And, and, he, <laughs> and so he gets on the bus and everybody's kind of clapping and, you know, LeBron makes the crack again. And it was just very um, apropos of how the night went because that's what he was doing, uh, damn it. And Dallas certainly felt that. I, uh, Pete, I don't want to share... I don't want to speak for you in the text thread, but you said something about LeBron and AD and sort of the their their <laughs> energy on a given night. Can can you do you want to give like a, a version of that, and then I can speak to how I think Vanderbilt fits into it along based off what Darius had said of, of like the kind of guy I was looking after. So like there are two things with LeBron and AD, and and it's one is motor and the other one's jump shooting. And with this particular version of the team, especially Vanderbilt is the one other guy who provides a degree of force aside from them, but that's about it. And so we've talked rightfully about what a new team we have and all of these new parts and how it fits just way better than it did. But if you were to ask me in one sentence to describe why today's game went the way that it did is that Eddie was fine in the first half half, and LeBron was bad. And in the second half, they were both great to varying degrees for different reasons. And that's why the game went way differently than it did. There's a certain degree of just force and attentiveness to every single possession that they kind of start the chain to me, Mike, that when they are playing with that, then then everybody else slots into their appropriate roles. But it also gives, it animates the whole team in a way that I think is really important to their rhythm and just being productive. So just, I'm so glad we have the, we made the trades that we did. We have the team that we do, but it starts with them kind of having that level of oomph and then a guy like Vanderbilt is who puts you over the top to me so it all starts with LeBron and AD yeah so I've had I've said versions of this before but I, I want to try and synthesize it a little bit and my experience from just okay. being at NBA games right over these years and and seeing great teams that have won championships and seeing bad teams and especially seeing what it's like for championship teams after they win uh, and and how much harder it is Every night in the NBA, uh, not just because you're getting the other team's best shot, but just because of the human nature element of the hunted versus the 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 hunt or the hunty, like, and that's kind of where, like, after the Lakers lost in my first season, of course, that they lost to Boston, no way, and that hunger button was just on, like, especially with Kobe, and Kobe transcends some of this on, in his own right, just because of that 
extra level of competitor that he is. But you still, on that for that next season, needed the injection of Ron Artest, um, now Metal World Peace, like some talent slash hunger to come in and keep that level high. And I, I think that, so after the Lakers won the bubble title, to then ask LeBron and AD to still be sort of the day-to-day energy, hunger, effort, like all of that at compared to the teams that are chasing them, compared to the other stars that are chasing them, I just think is a lot uh, for over the course of a season and, and a playoff run. So it's so important then to bring in the types of players, whether it's just talent and fit or mm-hmm. have a couple of guys and this is where Vanderbilt comes in. This is like the, the type of player that I've wanted actually physically next to them on the court that can that can bring mm-hmm. some of that level up and then they can carry it home uh, in certain times. And and that's I, I just think if you don't have that and couple that just with the size to kind of bring in a, an argument that we've had, or I guess we've all been on the same side of this argument. But like after the game, I asked AD about Vanderbilt and he LeBron and uh, and uh, a LeBron AD and Vanderbilt can basically talk and look. They can switch. They, they can read everything. Yep. Like there are, you know, that type mm-hmm. of stuff defensively. Whereas before they had a they had a guard in Patrick Beverly playing the three. They couldn't do all that stuff. They they were just more limited defensively as to how they could cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even if like if Russ was out there, Russ could battle some, but not in the same way that with the height and the size. So that's all. It, it's it's just that the whole. The whole combination of what Vanderbilt represents, you know, for a player who is not an all-star, but is just so critical to me um, in filling what the team needs. And I think, you know, one of the bigger reasons why they're four and one in these five games that he's played. hundred percent, man. Like that level of athleticism and motor. I think the, we can lose the size and athleticism within the context of the, of, you know, focusing on how hard he plays, but to your point about like, of course, we, we can't have LeBron and AD pushing their finger on the turbo button the entire game for the entire season or even for a stretch as long as this. Right. And that's exactly why guys like Jared Vanderbilt are extremely helpful to get you through that. But my thought is that if you're not going to have your foot on the gas and be using your superior size and athleticism to really put pressure on the other team, which is what... Like you need to to really have a, your foot on the gas underneath that to be able to use that element of your game successfully. If you're not going to play in that manner, you got to be able to hit jump shots to a certain degree that like right now, LeBron is really struggling with his jumper. It's really been all year long. And a lot of, you know, a lot of that has a lot of the conversation around that D has been like, oh, it's it's a rust team and there's this weird spacing around him and all of that. No, man, LeBron is like double pumping before he takes open threes. He's like, he looks as as lacking in confidence in his jumper as I've ever seen him as a Laker. So I'm curious your thoughts on, on Vanderbilt with what Mike said, but also that, because I think that that's where we can get into, into problems. No, so I agree with what Mike is saying about like, having the supplementary players that need to like, I've made this argument before, but like stars need role players to lift them up just in the same way that role players need stars to lift them up. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just like the best teams work in that symbiotic nature where the times that the role players maybe don't have it. It's the stars who are just like, well, we're the stars. We're going to carry you guys this night and there are some nights where the stars they play the most minutes every night they have the most taxing responsibilities each night 
typically on both sides of the ball, especially if they're the mm-hmm. elite of the elite, which LeBron and, and Anthony Davis are. And some nights the role players are the guys that need to be like, look, I got you. I got you on this one, right? I'm going to make that extra rotation. I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be, not on time, ahead of time, because that's going to help you do your job too. Well, and one of the aspects that I'm really excited about with this team is we've got role players who can do that in different ways. Last game was the Malik Beasley game, right? And even in this game, just his gravity, he was a plus 15 in this game. He shot poorly. It was two for 11 from three instead of the seven for 11 from three. But the 11 is also important. And that's the way they were closing out to him, all the attention that he draws. So the ability to not only have your role players pick up your stars, but to be able to do it in distinctly different ways is important. In the background, in my room right now, as at the time of we're recording, uh, Golden State is on and Steph Curry is on the bench. But the way that like Pete was just talking about the shooting with AD and LeBron, and I, I guess the way that you were talking about it made me think of it in a different way. Because let's say Steph Curry doesn't have his peak energy on that night, and and how could he? So, or Kevin Durant? Mm-hmm. Well, they can just they can mm-hmm. still kind of they can play casually and just hit three or four threes right. Or hit a couple of jump shots. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, whereas if LeBron and AD, like they, it's not quite the same because teams are going to be packing the paint anyway. And then they might, they might look up and be like, Oh, these guys are coming at us again. And they have to kind yep. of put their foot on the pedal and get into the, get to the paint. And I ultimately still like in a seven game series, especially with everything on the line, uh, I want the two guys that can get to the rim, finish at the rim and then protect the rim. Um, Mm -hmm. Steph's a little bit different as the all time greatest shooter of all time, but like that, that Pete, I think is a, is a good way to frame the point that you've been trying to make. And maybe I've been a little bit push. I probably push back a little bit too much about the shooting because I, I keep saying to you, like, well, you can't expect these guys to be able to match the energy every night, but then flip side is, well, if they don't, then it's more difficult because of the shots that aren't falling. So I, I'm, I just wanted to acknowledge Yeah, Make your jumpers then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's but it's but it's, they're not, it's hard to do that, though. Oh, it is. So we could go back and forth here on all of the stuff about, you know, the the um, the nature of this revamped Lakers team. I just wanted to kick two ideas to you guys really quickly. First, I want to give Dennis Schroeder some flowers. Right. Mm. I think he had 16 points. He was a plus 17 team best 16 points. He led the team with eight assists. For all of the talk about playing with force and getting into the paint and and scoring at the rim, Dennis did all those things too, but he's mm-hmm. a 6-1 guard who is slight of nature, but he is a bulldog and he just fights and fights and fights. And I don't think – like the way that the Lakers played in that second half is emblematic as much of Dennis Schroeder as it is as – of LeBron James and Anthony Davis in terms of the style of play. So I wanted to just give Dennis a quick shout out there. Also, Darvin Ham. So I want to kick both of these ideas to both mm-hmm. of you. Darvin basically went with a seven-man rotation this game. So Rui, Rui got like one short shift in the second half, but it was the only shift he got. Mo Bamba and Lonnie Walker, who both got shifts in the first half, did not play in the second half at all. Seven players then played 20 minutes or more, and those were the dudes. Like, Darvin's caught a lot of – It felt like a playoff game in in the building. Yeah. 
Yeah, Darvin's caught a lot of flack this year for how he's handled the rotations, the personnel groupings, and this and that and this and that. And look, like, I was saying this stuff too. So I'm not like, uh, like I'm not uh, making it sound like I was the one who was like, oh, well, Darvin's the... No, he deserved some critiques for this stuff. But this team makes sense more now. And Darvin is right there with it. It's like, this is how it makes sense. I'm going to play to those strengths and group these guys in ways. And he's been pulling the right levers, I think. And, and so I just wanted to kick both of those ideas to you. Dennis, Darvin, go in whatever direction you want, Mike. Well, Dennis and Darvin to me brings up the idea that D'Angelo Russell didn't play. And so if you start Dennis and play him 34 minutes, then you pull him off the bench unit that he could help stabilize and you know, sort of help lead in other ways. And that bench unit... I don't want to be too harsh on them because they did really struggle, but it was also like Tim Hardaway made, you know, two step back contested ridiculous threes. And then Josh Green made both of his threes in the first half or sorry, in the first quarter. And like that, that more than anything else was why those guys are like minus 10, minus 12, minus 10 um, uh, while also missing open threes on the other end. But I also do think Pete, like that, that is the difference when you take a, a really good rotation player out uh, and, and you just, subtract then as which is what has basically been happening to the Lakers for the last two, three seasons uh, that that does get felt in some way. And the way to overcome it in this case for Darwin was to shorten the rotation, uh, which was the right move and which worked. Yeah. I think that's something we have the capacity to do now. And this is the time of season where you go away from, Oh, this guy's out. So we're going to play Max Christie, some shifts here, or even going away from Lonnie, you know, like Lonnie, uh, we can have a longer discussion about Lonnie at some point, but I think the right correct, the right move to make is to just play Austin more minutes, play Dennis more minutes, play Malik more minutes, right? That you have enough guys to just, all right, it's a three guard rotation tonight. This is the point of the season where we got to start winning games. And so that's going to happen. And I'm so it's, I'm also excited, D, to see him, I think, find a rotation, both starters and off the bench, that makes sense that if you're thinking, okay, who are my ninth and 10th guys, i.e. the guys that when you are trying to win a playoff game like that, Mike, that maybe you're not playing a 10-man rotation, who are the guys that fall off on this team? The guys that make sense the most are Rui and Bamba. And to see so to see that be the adjustment, I was like, yes, that's the that's spot on. It's the first time all year I've been like, yeah, this is the 10, this is the group D. If we have to downsize, that's great. Interesting conversation to be had around Dennis, for sure, in this respect, either starting or coming off the bench if D'Lo is out. But all in all, man, we have, I know who the starters are, I know who the bench unit is, we know who the rotation is, and that's a blessing. Well, also with Darvin, too, just that micro decision of saying, like, well, Austin has it going tonight. Like, like in the choice between Austin and Troy Brown, he went with Austin. Mm-hmm. Whereas in other nights, it might have been Troy that was the right decision, but tonight it wasn't. Well, it's going right? to change from night to night. That's the thing. And if you have enough guys, if you got eight role players who can play decently well, if you have three of them, on any given night playing well while LeBron and AD are going, you got a real good chance of winning the game. It's easy to get lost in the idea of like AD was dominant. I don't even think we talked enough about how good AD <sighs> Not at all. was tonight. He no. was so good. Like the jumper, oh, yeah, the, fadeaway? the jumper, the, he hit two jumpers tonight or three of them. He had three jumpers tonight and all were in the same sort of rhythm that is just like these mm-hmm. they turn into practice shots because he's so good and so two of them were from the left elbow he like face up jab step like 
turn, dr- hard dribble show, and then reverse pivot back for the fade. And it's just like, and he totally oh my shook God. his man on that step back. He totally lost his guy. His man was nowhere in the vicinity at all. And these are shots where the net's not moving. And then the shot that he hit over Luca in the post to get the Lakers back, either mm. to put them up three or give them the lead. But three, it was put him like, up three. Mm-hmm. So I'll put him up three. And he was basically just like, I got this dude on me. Give me the ball already. And I'm just going to one dribble and turn around fade and, and shoot it right over the top. This dude has no chance. And like walked back and was like saying stuff to the crowd, almost like you thought you forgot or I'm that whatever expletive comes, comes next. It's just like when he yeah. is, when he is that dude, cause you talked about the jump shooting earlier and he, his threes did not look good at all. And like, he looks hesitant to shoot them, but with AD, the three point shot falling is not my baseline for how his jumper looks. It's those Likewise. shots. It's not the even shots close. I was just yeah. Saying, Yes, yeah, it's yes. it's those shots where he's playing with the ball a little bit or I'm in a rhythm and now I'm shooting the step back from like 16 to 18 feet. And when that falls, it's just like this dude is unreal. And then you mm-hmm. add the rebounds, you add the block shots, you add that pass that he threw to LeBron over his head when he's in traffic and it was a no look. And oh, yeah. LeBron gets, gets the, layup. the layup. It's just like this dude is unreal. And so like – Sorry, I had to close out with a little AD talk right there, but it's just like this dude was amazing. And so just wanted like for all the Darvin and Dennis, it's like, okay, well, let's get back to AD a little bit because he deserves it. No doubt. Uh, my, my only last thought, guys, is if, if somebody's talking shit about you or getting in your face, um, I'm going to hit him with that same, that same mug. Okay. Uh, that, that, that look. I did yeah, yeah. Me. Yeah. So, so I, I, that's you look ready to step in. About you too. I was it Pete. I still haven't seen the actual video. Was, was it like, was it was it on me for a second there, where you could see a progression, or did you just screenshot the one the one mean mug face? I, I didn't see enough of it in when we're recording is right <laughs> after the game, so I'm going. I got to check the tape, Mike. Uh, did you catch it? Oh D? man, I did not. Our good buddy Harrison sent me the screenshot because oh, and he Harrison. sent me a picture okay. like, like yeah. Oh, so so he was just like, like who did it better? And it was it was my Twitter Abby of <laughs> Tarek Black, sort mm-hmm. of giving the side eye to Boogie Cousins in his little skirmish with their old friend Julius Randall, and then it was Mike. Mm-hmm. Right, Mike. I imagine that's the face that you give the umpire when he calls Jet out at like first when it's a close call, and but like he clearly yeah. made it from your perspective. Yeah, you know, I I think that's probably fair. Um, I. Or even even worse, like a called third strike when it's clearly a ball, you know that that's even uh, yes. like where where your kid like was disciplined enough not to swing, and then they call the third strike like that. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. That does mm. you know it's a displeasure scale item. But anyway, uh, big uh, big game <laughs> for the Lakers, Pete and man, we'll see. I'm kind of I'm hoping LeBron gets a little gets a little chance to get that footwork done. And uh, they'll, you know, back to back in Memphis and OKC coming up. It's it's all so fun and it's all so tenuous on built upon the feet of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But we're making progress. Great win, biggest comeback in the NBA this season. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Lakers. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. 
Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two one. Miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.